Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. Little steps are where it's at. Even in an imperfection, if you keep progressing, your story will unfold with you as a mighty man or woman of God and an overcomer, rather than the lie that the world has tried to sell you about falling short. Because you're all that. You're a big deal. Amen? So in light of that, I want to talk today about a popular or well-known, I should say, um, biblical figure who, in my opinion, has gotten a bad rap. Um, Despite the fact that the Bible didn't say anything negative about him, many well-meaning um, scholars, um, thought, Christian thought leaders, pastors, teachers, writers, have this negative opinion of a couple of things that happened in his story. And I'm talking about none other than Gideon. Have you considered Gideon? You know, in spite of this vastly negative perspective that we hear about in terms of the fleeces that he threw out or that he put out, this man was actually in the roll call of faith heroes in Hebrews 11. I want to show you that. And again, I'm just in my introduction, but I want to show you that so we can talk about this intelligently this morning. Um, I, I feel like Part of this might have been a little bit of a paper that I could have offered before I dropped out of seminary <laughs> um, so that, you know, a professor could take some of my ideas here and validate whether or not I had something. But I know by the spirit I'm on to something because I've been in this word. And rather than hearing what people's opinions are of what faith looks like and what faith should be, I come back to this book and it says that Gideon was a faith hero. So let's go to Hebrews 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1. And we're going to jump down to verse 32 after we read through verse 2. But I want to start here at the, at the top. I'm reading from the New Living Translation version. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Somebody say good reputation. Verse 32, how much more do I need to say? And this is after he's gone through the list of all of the greats that did such and such in faith, right? Continuing on in verse 32, it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon. Somebody say Gideon. Somebody say the faith of Gideon. He's first in this secondary list where the writer is saying, well, Paul's saying, look, I, I can't go into detail, any more detail than I have in these, you know, previous 30 verses, because it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Verse 33, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. So 
when I think about what we have learned, and I don't know about you, but I've been hearing about Gideon on and off throughout my Christian journey. Sure, you've heard the stories. Too. Oh, yes, it's a bad habit. I got to keep the mic in my face. <laughs> you've heard those stories that have come across to us about the fleeces and maybe Gideon being the least. But I think that perhaps due to some short-sightedness or privilege or simply their own opinions and understanding, some of us have missed that this is one of the greatest stories of faith in the Bible because Gideon overcame insecurity and insufficiency by faith and corresponding acts of faith and obedience. And God met Gideon right where he was, even when he didn't think he was worthy. So this morning, we're going to talk about small steps, big faith, lessons from Gideon. Small steps, big faith, lessons from Gideon. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together on another Sunday and do what you have instructed us to do, forsaking not the assembly of those of us who believe, coming together as a family to honor your presence and this day with one another and learn from your word more insight that can help us glorify you more and live out what you've called us to. I thank you, Lord, that each one of us here today is good ground for a word to be sown. I thank you for opening our ears and our hearts, our minds, so that we can receive everything that we are meant to get out of this day. And Lord, I offer myself to you. I am your handmaiden. I thank you, Lord, for anointing me to teach this word, to speak this word, even to preach this word as necessary. Lord, use me. Make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. I am available and I'm putty in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. So we're talking about small steps, big faith. So little by little, you get there. Even if your beginning is small. So let's go ahead and read through Judges 6, which is the entire chapter, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're going to read it because I want you to see here, you know, I, I tend to read through long passages because context is important. Sometimes we, you know, and, and very skilled teachers and preachers, like I'm not knocking them, they'll, they'll excerpt a passage and they'll teach about it. But sometimes I think we do an injustice to ourselves by doing that because we need to see the full picture. Um, more times often than not. Um, so I want to start in um, Judges 6 at verse 1. And I, again, am reading from the New Living Translation. Whatever translation you have, follow along or feel free to see ESV here on the screen. Um, verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Meridian, excuse me, from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. 
These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were thick as locusts. Come, um, they arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was underneath the great tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff in his hand and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abiezer to this day. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal. I'm going to say that again. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as the fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. 
So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Y'all still with me? Is this good? It'll preach itself, won't it? Verse 28, early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built. Sorry. <clears throat> and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him. Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal is truly a God, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke his altar down. From then on, Gideon was called Jerubbabel, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Verse 33, soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulon and Naphtali, summoning their warriors and all of them responded. Then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised. Now, this is the part that we all are familiar with. <coughs> a lot of reading and a lot of singing. <coughs> Thank you. Verse 36, verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did just as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Amen. Let the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. So we want to break this down because I think this is a value, especially if you are someone who is still dealing with your self-esteem and you're looking to build it. But you kind of get discouraged because you still are the same person who came up here last week. <laughs> right. But you can start right where you are and make progressive steps. And God is merciful. He will give you what you need so that you can be who you're called to be. One of the things that and I'll start actually from the bottom of this. One of the things that really stood out to me 
as I was reading verses 36 through 40. I think sometimes we, and when I say we, I mean like everybody, like humanity, all those who believe and read the Bible or read anything. Sometimes we get so caught up in what is right there on the surface that we miss the deeper meaning. And the Holy Spirit was just kept reminding me of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking for the cup to be passed. This wasn't so much about, I need to prove that you're real and that you really are going to help me. This was about wanting to pass the cup because of how serious and how big this ask was of a man who really didn't have any self-esteem. He said, I am the least of my family and my family is the least of this town. How can you ask me to do anything? I'm not the one you're looking for. But even though he said that, he still obeyed everything God said. We often hear about Gideon in the context of not having enough faith. And he's fleece shamed, even to this day. And we know in part this comes from misunderstanding of Matthew 16, 4, where Jesus said a wicked and perverse generation seeks a sign. But again, when we're talking about the surface versus the deeper meaning, it wasn't seeking a sign that made the Pharisees and Sadducees wicked. They were already wicked and their hearts weren't right. So they were, from where they were, seeking a sign. It wasn't the seeking of the sign that made them who they were. But Gideon was not wicked. And he had every reason and opportunity to be. Because his own daddy had an altar to Baal. Gideon may have been limited in his capacity. But he was able to honor the Lord even when initially timid and unsure of himself. And what the Lord did in return was teach him and give him the confidence he needed until he was able to fully step into his purpose and calling. Gideon was shaky, but he wasn't shady. Gideon responded with mustard seed faith and immediate obedience, and he reaped a harvest. So let's take some time to break this down a bit further as we talk about small steps and big faith. Lessons from Gideon. So Gideon was weak. Gideon was afraid. Gideon was inexperienced. And even so, God met him where he was. Gideon had likely been spiritually misguided, even neglected as a result of Israel's disobedience and idol worship, as we see in verse 1. And he probably knew just as much about worshiping Baal as he did about worshiping God because of his father's own you know, altar right there on the property. But even in his limited knowledge, even with everything that the influences around him, Gideon chose God. And we see that in verses 15 and 18. The other thing that I think some of these scholars and, and other thoughts, that uh, thought leaders, thought generators have had about this fleecing, it's one of the things that I think they neglected to see possibly as a result of privilege, is that Gideon was traumatized and oppressed. Seven years of cruelty at the hands of the Midianites. Imagine what your mindset and emotional state might be if the worst of the pandemic and the lockdown had been for seven years instead of a year. Imagine your frame of mind. So Gideon was desperate. Gideon was broken. 
many of us, maybe we haven't been through cruelty at the hands of the Midianites, but we've been through what we've been through that has allowed a foothold of insecurity to get into us. The trauma and the oppression matters to God. He will meet you where you are. So we know that Gideon, that was his story. Gideon also had some physical weakness that we need to explore. Remember the part where it said that every time the Israelites grew something, that the Midianites came in and took it all? They couldn't even have cattle. They couldn't meet their own needs. It was stolen from them continually. So he was likely starving, physically weak, mentally weak, drained. And yet, though he saw himself as desperate and small, he still had the wherewithal to be trying to hide grain in the wine press. So he thought, even as he happened upon this angel, I'm at my lowest point. I'm hiding. I'm a grown man and I'm hiding from someone who's pursuing me. That, I mean, I'm not a man, but I imagine that that can be a trip that you can't even defend yourself. You got to start hiding. You got to be crafty instead of being able to fight. So Gideon had low self-esteem. We can deduce that from all of this, but little becomes much in the master's hands. With what he did know about worship, even though he didn't trust himself to know God's voice when God, well, the angel of the Lord spoke to him, he had faith that God would accept an offering. And we're going to talk about that offering in a minute. But here's what I want you to know about this. It is possible to trust God and believe him for about everything else except what he says about you. It's possible to believe God, to be a full-fledged believer and believe God for all that he is and all that he says, except when it comes to you. It's possible to believe God is worthy while believing you're unworthy. But I want to tell you today, that's incomplete faith. But you're starting somewhere. But it's incomplete. It's not belief in God's power but rather unbelief in yourself and that unworthiness that is in the way. But if you, when you can get past that and work past that, you'll have complete faith. But even in the midst of that, you still have something God can work with. The greatest commandments we see in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, the greatest is to love God. So you love God, but the second to love our neighbor as ourselves. Some of us don't get the neighbor part so well. Some of us don't get the ourselves so well. So it's possible to be at a certain point in the Lord, but because of your own insecurities or fears or low self-esteem, you allow God to touch every area except where it comes to you being everything that he said that you are. But even in spite of Gideon not thinking there was much to him or that he had much to offer, he was on the spot ready to worship the Lord. So let's talk about this offering. Some scholars believe that he prepared food to be hospitable. But I don't believe this to be the case. This is where I know, you know, my, my professor would probably be like, okay, all right, Mrs. Wright, let's talk about this. 
you know, if I ever go back, I might even do a thesis on this. I ain't going back. Okay. <laughs> verse 18. Verse 8. Hey, hey. Oh, somebody caught it. Huh. Verse 18. He said, offering. He said offering. Now, the New Living Translation, which I love so much, translates this word to cooked, um, the word prepared, rather, to cooked, which could be understandable in light of the broth, right? But he prepared an offering. Now, we already talked about how Gideon probably didn't know what he should have known, given the, you know, the whole um, idolatry thing going on around him. But I personally think what happened here is Gideon was a novice who had never really prepared a sacrifice for the one true living God. And in a land where Midianites were plundering everything and where his people were worshiping Baal, he may have not felt secure preparing the goat out in the open, especially when Midianites are coming to steal all the food and everything you see. Um, or maybe he just didn't know exactly how to properly prepare it. But either way, he went off to prepare the goat and asked the angel to wait because he knew it would take a long time. Now, I want to break this down. Because how many of you are familiar with what it takes to um, slaughter an animal for food or hunt an animal and how much time that takes? Okay, I see some heads shaking. So I'm going to take you to the country a bit. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. Let's put ourselves in the scene. Remember, he's an Israelite. So he had to take the time to kill the goat a certain way, drain the blood, skin it, Burn, singe the hairs, all that, and prepare a fire. Because look, you're not going into your kitchen with your double ovens or your outdoor kitchen. It's going to take some work to prepare this. In a land where you don't want to send up a smoke signal because if the enemy smells the food, they're coming to take it. So he had to go someplace where he could be discreet. He had to find the right place. He had to roast it and I don't know if you've ever roasted an animal whole. After you've, after you've done the long work of draining the blood, preparing all the skin and skinning all of that, taking out all the organs so you don't have the awful, uh, not awful, awful, O-F-F-A-L, not A-W-F-U-L. You take all of the innards, basically, out. Then you got to roast that whole big goat. I don't know how roughly how much does a goat weigh? Maybe 40, 50, 60 pounds? Baby goat? Baby goat still ain't, it ain't a chicken. 100 pounds? 100 pounds of meat. You know how long it takes to roast 100 pounds of meat? Where are my cooks in the house? How many per minute? Per pound. How many minutes per pound? Okay. Then you got to let it rest. All right. And then, then, while that was going on, he prepared what the scripture says, or it's translated here as a basket of unleavened bread. Well, I want you to know that that basket, the flour, the amount of flour was an epath, epath. That's 20 quarts of flour. A quart is 32 ounces. So that's 40 pounds of flour. So he made 40 pounds of flour worth of unleavened bread to bring out to one man. You can't tell me he didn't, that he didn't prepare a sacrifice. And he kind of had it off because when you go back to Leviticus, Anytime you're preparing unleavened bread as a part of a grain offering, it's a tenth of an epaph. So, and then we got to think about what the grain offering represents. The grain offering represents gratitude. Gratitude for being at peace with God. So this man was so grateful 
that he prepared all this unleavened bread. Then let's talk about the fact that he prepared this big old feast in the midst of a famine where he was weak and hungry. Can you imagine I've done it? Cause I'm, I'm that mama that's fasting when, when we call a fast and I still got to feed my kids and you smell the aromas, but you dare not touch it. You can't tell me this wasn't an offering. Hospitality, my foot. If he thought that that was anybody else, but God, he wouldn't go through all of that trouble. Come on with me. Y'all there. Okay. So. Gideon didn't know just how much to prepare of that unleavened bread, but he was so grateful. He was extravagantly generous. Somebody catch it right there. He was extravagantly generous in a famine and offered all of that in faith. One thing about having low self-esteem is sometimes if you're not careful, you will value other people more than you value yourself. But you cannot be deceived when it comes. God is not everybody else. And a gift, an offering is a gift. And I'm here to tell you that gift made some room for Gideon. So when everybody's talking about this fleece business, you can't talk about the fleeces without talking about the offering. And the way that set God's heart up toward him. The way that even in advance, he made penance for his sin. And then, nothing. this is a whole lot. Y'all going to have to listen to this later because there's a whole lot in here. I'm referring to Leviticus a lot. You can go to Leviticus chapters 2 and 6 and I think maybe 6 through 8 to hear and get more context of what I'm talking about. But we have to note, I would be remiss if I didn't, that the offering of a goat was what was required to atone for the leader. So in preparing a goat, he accepted the challenge, even though he couldn't see himself doing it. Even though he wasn't really sure it was God speaking to him, not because he didn't know God or, or know, know that God was able, but because he doubted himself, he still made provision. God, if this is you, I'm going to do what it takes. So that I can be what you called me to be. When we go later on, he sacrificed or rather he offered the bull. That's what was required in Leviticus for the entire congregation. So. If my assumptions are correct or if my hypotheses, yeah, what I propose is correct. Gideon was in faith accepting what the Lord was saying, even as a part of his test to see if it was indeed God speaking to him. I'm saying all this to say that Gideon didn't get it all right. He didn't know all of the requirements, but to the best of his ability, in spite of his limitations, he offered the very best he could with enormous gratitude and God saw his heart. I'm here to tell you that God sees your heart. The next time Gideon makes an offering, God is able to give him specific instructions on what to do with that bull. And though he's afraid to get caught doing it, he did exactly what God told him to do. So I want to talk about Gideon's obedience. Throughout the verses, we can see Gideon resisting fear and overcoming his tentativeness. But what we don't see is him not obeying. 
Though he felt insignificant, once he understood what was happening, he was able to start right where he was. And God met him there. So let's once again put ourselves in the scene of this to have better understanding. Though his knowledge might be limited, it's fair to say Gideon had heard of Abraham, Lot, and Jacob. And, or Jacob who became Israel, you know. And he knew the highlights, which would include the visitations of angels. So unlike Abraham, he wasn't uncertain about what to do when he saw. I mean, I'm sorry. Unlike Abraham, he was not certain about what to do when he saw the angel. However, he tried his best and prepared a generous offering. And he knew enough to call it an offering rather than hospitality. He called it an offering. Unlike Jacob, he didn't wrestle with the message. He didn't contend with it, even though he didn't believe it. Part of that may have been, you know, his perceived weakness. Hebrews 13, 2 exhorts us to show hospitality and references these events. You know, to, to show hospitality, you may be entertaining angels unaware. But centuries before that text was written, we see Gideon operating according to this understanding. But once he realized who was speaking to him, he did everything the Lord commanded. And he was asked to do some tough things. Offering that bull could have cost him his life, but he did it anyway. Preparing that goat could have caused him to be ransacked, but he did it anyway. He could have allowed his insecurities to creep in. But when the Lord told him in chapter seven to start reducing his army so that he could get the glory from the fight, he did it. And it wasn't so long before Gideon was able to trust his own voice as a leader because of these faith steps where he did what God required, even when he didn't feel like he was worthy or capable. He was able to lead well because he followed God and obeyed well. So let's get to these fleeces and we won't be much longer. I promise we have to talk about the fleeces. Let's talk about the fact that God was tender and merciful with Gideon in light of his circumstances. God gave Gideon exactly what he needed to be encouraged and to believe in himself. Gideon asked to set the fleeces. He asked God and God permitted him to do it. So in this, we see the father's mercy and compassion and his ability to deal with us in spite of our issues and our flaws. I'm here to tell you today that your self-esteem issues don't have to stop you from obeying God. Keep progressing forward with little steps. And as you prove God, he will prove you. You will be strengthened and encouraged if you move forward in faith and try and offer your best. So I do feel like, because we didn't read through chapter 7, so I want to read through chapter 7 a bit so that you see what I'm talking about here. Judges chapter 7. Right. Judges chapter 7. So, um, verse 1. So, Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, got his army up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. Um, and it goes on. Verse two, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them left. 
And then we go back on, let's see, um, at verse four, God said, there are still too many, bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. And Gideon took his warriors down to the water and the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And in the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths to the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands and lapped like a dog. So he went down from tens of thousands to 300. He did some hard things, but he did not hesitate. He did not hesitate. Okay, and verse 7, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you the victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. And we're going to jump down to verse 9. No, no, yeah, verse 9. That night the Lord said, get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. And what happens is he goes down there, just like God said, verse 13, Gideon crept Oh, excuse me. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned over and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite victory over Midian and all its allies. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the camp and shouted, get up. For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. And we see victory from here. Let me tell you something about those fleeces. The, this, this was a fleece in after the same order. He didn't ask God that time. God gave him what he needed. And from that point, from that point of contact, he started saying what the Lord said. He wasn't just doing what the Lord said to do. He started talking different. He started acting differently. He came to himself and said, oh, God is with me. So all of this stuff about Gideon was of little faith and ideally he wouldn't need the fleece hogwash. You don't know what Gideon was going. I say you, I'm not talking about y'all. But they don't know what Gideon was going through, but God did. God knew what he needed and God made it happen so that he could overcome. What has God said about you that was impossible for you to believe because of the way you've seen or not seen yourself? I want to challenge each of us today to take small steps of faith and let's, let's, let's keep it real. They were small steps, but it was a big deal. He was asked to do some big things, some dangerous things, but even in his fear or, or in, in his temptation to be afraid, he took a small step and he did it. He may not have been able to do that first thing in the light of day, but he did it anyway. So how can we take the steps of faith necessary to do big, bold things for God's glory, even when we don't think we're enough? Here are five steps to take from Gideon's story. First step is this. Start where you are. Start where you are. You don't have to wait to feel like a big deal. Just start where you are. And you start by doing what God says. 
Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Do you know that even in your insecurity, if you start, the Lord is rejoicing. You set something off just by being willing, even when you don't think that you can do it. So the first, thing, the first step is start where you are. The second step, receive God's words and plans concerning you. Even if you feel insignificant, overcome that temptation and accept what God has said overall. If he sends an angel or a messenger or a sermon <laughs> or a scripture to speak life into you, then you receive it. Receive it and let it build you up as truth comes into your heart and your mind. Speak those words over yourself. Receive exhortation and comfort from prophetic words you've been given. Sermons like this week and last week, follow the instructions. That is how you receive God's words and plans concerning you. And I do have a couple of scriptures that you can write down to support this um, about receiving God's words and plans. I have Psalm 139 verses 13 through 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm wonderfully and fearful, excuse me, fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That's Psalm 139, 13, 14. And of course, we all know Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And it goes on. So Psalm 139, 13 through 14 and Jeremiah 29 and 11. We said, start where you are. Number two was receive God's words and plans concerning you. And now we're saying as number three, don't do it afraid, do it in faith. Don't do it afraid, do it in faith. Don't do it afraid. See, I know, you know, I, I, love, I love the English language and I love the creativity of our people. And we come up with these catchy slogans and phrases, but you got to be careful sometimes. I know I go <laughs> to the extreme. I remember I was over there. Y'all were looking at me crazy when I was saying my, son, my sons love the theme song from Annie, like the, 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 the new Annie, the revised Annie with Jamie Foxx in it. And I said, oh, you're not going to sing that in my car. It's a blessed, blessed life for us. It's a blessed, blessed life. For us, yeah, we gonna sing that. Cause you don't know no hard knocks. <laughs> Amen. So sometimes I go too far. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to be like me. But what I am saying is that there's this saying out here and I know the intent, do it afraid. It means no matter what, just go for it. But we who know better, don't be, you don't have to be reckless. You, if you're going to, if you're going to do anything first, you resist the temptation to fear. You resist the fear and then do it anyway. Do it in faith. All you need is a mustard seed. All you need is a little bit, but resist fear, kick fear to the side and do it in faith. Do it in faith. Second Timothy 1 7 says for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power love and self-discipline and another um, translation that we know so well says power love and a sound mind Joshua 1 9 have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be afraid do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go then here's an outlier, probably not as well known. Psalm 27 verse 3 says this, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. No matter what comes, 
resist fear and do it in faith. So number one was start where you are. Number two, receive God's words and plans concerning you. Number three, don't do it afraid, do it in faith. Number four, it's the fourth step, four or five, trust God to strengthen, equip, and lead you. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, even until the day of Christ Jesus. These scriptures are going to help you. I encourage you to get them down. Trust God to strengthen, equip, and lead you. He will do it. When you say yes, you don't have to worry about having it all together. He will give you what you need. And the fifth one is this. Oh, wait, wait. Do I have six, actually? Let me see. We did. Oh, I have six steps. <laughs> Start where you are. Receive God's words and plans concerning you. Don't do it afraid. Do it in faith. Trust God to strengthen, equip, and lead you. The fifth one is this. Don't be intimidated by anybody. Don't be intimidated by anybody. If you can face God, you can face anybody. Who is greater than him? I submit to you today that if you put anyone else above him in terms of being afraid or intimidated, that it's idolatry. It's idolatry to give more weight to a mere person than you do to the Lord our God. If we can approach him with boldness, you can approach anybody with boldness. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. People are not meant to talk to you any kind of way. Nobody. Nobody. Not the person you live with. Not the person who gave birth to you. Not the person who you gave birth to. Yeah, I'm coming up in your house. I'm scared, but I'm doing it. <laughs> Don't let people talk to you any kind of way. Don't be intimidated, rather, I should say. Everything is not a fight. Everything that people say doesn't mean that they're coming against you. But you should not be afraid of anyone. And if you find yourself in a place where you are tempted to be afraid, that person is not for you. They're not for your circle. They're not anybody to be frequently spoken to. They do not respect you. Remove yourself. Don't get in trouble with God. You are too precious and the call on your life is too precious to have it jeopardized by the wrong talking and the wrong thinking around you. I have scriptures that you can reference. I won't read them, but Ephesians 3.12, Hebrews 4.16, and Hebrews 13.6. I want to read Hebrews 13.6. So we say with confidence, this is the New Living Translation, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And the last one, because apparently I had six steps instead of five. <laughs> Trust God to fulfill what he has spoken. My scripture for support for this is Hebrews 10, 35 through 36. Hebrews 10, 35 through 36. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You, do, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. 
Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And we're going to close there. I hope this was beneficial for you. I know the enemy came for you this week because you opened your mouth, you raised your hand, you made a step forward and said, no longer will I stay stuck in this state. This is not of God for me not to believe in myself. And yes, I said believe in myself. I know some people don't like that. But I say, you got to believe what God says about you. So let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, forgive us how we have not seen ourselves properly. We know we ought not to esteem ourselves more highly than we ought to, but we've been guilty of seeing ourselves as less than what you have called us to be. And so we ask for your forgiveness, but we ask also for your help. Help us to remember heroes of faith, the examples, the witnesses that we have even in this book and even those around us and know that we too are capable. We too are loved. We too are part of your plan. We too are part of your design and that you have made us worthy. You have made us righteous. Thank you for continuing to conform us to your image, Lord. We submit to you right now and we declare that we will no longer feed into the lies of the enemy we will no longer accept lies about ourselves but we will walk forward in small steps but in truth day by day understanding more and more who you are and who we are in you in Jesus name we pray amen hallelujah thank you Lord we bless you father we bless you, God. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His word. God bless you.